Hi there, and welcome to the 10th episode of the T21 Mom Podcast. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we will talk about life, Down syndrome, mamahood, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley. She's six years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome. And I am living life my way. Today, my friend Ron joins me. Hey, Mary. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Pretty good. It's really hard to believe that we are now at episode 10. I know. And that puts us exactly halfway through our season. I know. I never thought we would get there. Well, I thought we were, you know, I thought we were getting pretty worn out there by episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing awesome. We are indeed. And speaking of awesome, our guest today is... Brenda Horton of Kids First Physio. She is Ainsley's awesome physio who has done amazing and wonderful things with Ainsley and got her walking in short order when I was pretty desperate. And we can talk all about that and she can share some of her tips and tricks. Okay. And she joined us here in the dining room studio a couple of weeks back. That's right. Okay. So let's, uh, let's introduce Brenda and off we go. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, I'm very excited for our next guest. She is in the studio with us today and is Ainsley's amazing physio, Brenda Horton of Kids First Physio. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're so happy that you're able to come today and come in to talk all things physio to share with our listeners. My pleasure. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about you and, you know, how long you've been a physio? I know it's been a little while and maybe perhaps why you chose to just deal with kids. Well, I have been a physio a very long time. It kind of scares me when I stop to think about it. It's been 40 years now. Wow. And uh, I have always wanted to work with kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was 10, my younger cousin contracted spinal meningitis and had some severe physical Uh, disabilities as a result of that Mm. and in those years there was no help for any children with special needs Mm -hmm. they lived on a farm in Saskatchewan and so what they would have to do even from the time she was two years old is bring her into the city of Regina where she lived where we lived I should say and um, leave her at the rehabilitation hospital for a month at a time oh my gosh and um, because I was the girl cousin closest in age I was 10 years old at the time Uh, my parents would take me there every day after school and I'd spend the time with her. And that's when I began to see what therapy could do to help children that had special challenges. And it became my life's dream and goal to do that. And that's what I've done. So it was a pretty single-minded purpose from early on. And I have uh, no regrets about it at all. I graduated from UBC in 1984 and I was lucky enough to have a double degree, physiotherapy and occupational therapy. That's right. And I've found that's been really helpful to me as a physiotherapist because in pediatrics I feel there's a lot of gray areas between the two disciplines and a lot of crossover. Mm -hmm. And it's given me the ability to think more outside the box than I probably would have been able to do with just a physio degree. I worked at Children's for 25 years, Mm -hmm. BC Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And there was some crossover time when I started to do some private practice because there was nothing much out in the area where I lived. And so gradually, because of the commute to children's getting longer and longer, I just decided to continue my private practice and stop going to children's altogether. My private practice has now been in existence for about 25 years Mm -hmm. also. And I 
have been really fortunate to run it out of the basement of my home, which gives me gave me the ability early on to raise my smaller children, mm-hmm. and um, now is just really convenient and makes it much more family-friendly environment where kids can feel relaxed, and I can fill it with things that interest and excite them, and hopefully they enjoy coming, and it doesn't feel so clinical. Oh, I know Ainsley loves coming, and it's like floor-to-ceiling of toys, so yeah. of course every kid wants to go, and it is hard work, but I know that she does have some fun there as well with the different therapists and including you too <laughs> it can be tough but Ainsley needs that I mean we're so grateful that you became a private physio because Ainsley certainly had some of her challenges because we came to see you I mean I'd seen you a few times when Ainsley was just a baby but you were hard to get into <laughs> but I came to see you when Ainsley just after she had turned four because I was so desperate to get her walking and it was actually Jen our amazing support worker who we're going to have on a later episode who got us in to see you and brought us on a snowy day on a Saturday and we came to see you because Ainsley was not walking on her own and I thank you for that for getting us to that point of walking because as I said I was pretty desperate. Oh you're more than welcome. The minute I met Ainsley I knew that she was going to walk. And I knew we could do it in fairly short order mm-hmm. uh, if we did it the with a firm approach and one that utilized the skills she already had. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I know that there were a lot of tough days at the physio. Like yes. Ainsley would be crying, yes. I would be crying, I'd be crying in the car. You know, it was hard, but I knew that I could trust you and you get results. Yes. You know, and within two sessions, Ainsley... I could see a difference and within three weeks I worked for a year but you in three weeks got her walking yeah it was pretty exciting yeah it was it was yeah one thing that I've learned about many of the children I work with and the children with Down syndrome in particular is that they have that real stubborn streak Mm -hmm. and they want things the way they want them Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's important to be able to see past that and realize that they really need to see that there's somebody there that maybe knows better Mm -hmm. and can help them through a problem that they're having. So I find when I was working with Ainsley and with other kids that have Down syndrome that setting the the limits and the expectations early made a big difference and because Ainsley was so very clever we had to stick with them absolutely (laughs) because if we missed even one second of sticking with what we'd set up she would walk all over us and Mm -hmm. she still does and she loves (laughs) to have new staff in there because she knows she can find a way Mm -hmm. to make it work her way and if she gets a chance to do it her way once she'll try it 50 more times. Oh, I know. <laughs> and if we're we're very firm with her and mm-hmm. just very consistent and loving, then she realizes, oh, I guess I'll just do it your way and it's more fun. Mm-hmm. And she complies beautifully and she does so well. Mm-hmm. And she's learned so much physical things, uh, both with her balance and walking and also with her hands. And she's just come miles from the girl I met, what, two years ago? Yeah, just over two years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. It's, been, it's been amazing. And I know... At our very first session, you said two things to me that have always stuck with me. One, as you just mentioned, you are just as stubborn or more so than Ainsley. And I thought, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And that she would walk. And you have kept your promise to that. And a few other things that we will also talk about in a little bit. But 
you know, obviously you see lots of different kids, not just kids with Down syndrome. I know that there's kids with autism and also some very rare genetic conditions that you see that you're helping. And when someone, when a child comes to your clinic for the first time, like what are some of the things that you look for? What do you do the first time you might see a child? Well, when a child comes in with their parents for assessment, I usually try to have some of my assistant staff take the child and play a game with them or play with toys so that I can observe how they interact and how they move and what they choose and whether they speak or whether they are afraid or whether they're very comfortable or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And it also gives me a chance to talk to the parents without the child listening in. Mm -hmm. So often I think the child, people think the child's not listening and they hear everything. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I feel like that's really important. The parent can then tell me what their concerns are. And I really feel it's important to hear the parent because we need to be working on the same goals Mm -hmm. and if the parent has one idea and I have another and they're we're not working together it it just doesn't go anywhere so it's important for me to understand what the parent is wanting Mm -hmm. and how they see their child and I find out things about the child from the parent such as their interests and what happens if they don't get what they want and what makes them mad and what makes them happy Mm -hmm. and I ask different questions about if they're going to school, you know, how is it going? And do they have some friends? And do they have language skills? Do they have other therapists? That kind of thing. So I kind of have an idea of what makes them tick. And by that time, the child is usually used to having a professional in their presence. And Mm -hmm. they'll allow me to approach quite easily. And we'll usually start with something fairly easy for them. Mm -hmm. So for example, if they're already up and walking around, we might play ball, Mm -hmm. throwing and catching a ball. Or we might jump down from a small stool or something simpler like that. And at the Mm -hmm. very end, I like to get them to uh, lie on the floor because we use the floor for everything in my clinic uh, with carpet, of course. (laughs) And I examine their muscles and their range of motion and their muscle strength if I haven't already got a good idea. And all the time I'm watching how they move and what patterns they're using and can they take commands and what do they do if they can't understand a command and that sort of thing and that gives you tons of information for designing a program that's going to work for the child Mm -hmm. and so for kids with down syndrome like obviously like Ainsley she's pretty low tone and I was in denial for quite a long time how low tone and that's hypotonia for the right professional term I guess so like for kids with down syndrome like how early should they be starting physio like I think in this I want to. I keep hearing in the states that kids start almost from birth. It seems, and here it's, it seems a bit more delayed. I've done it a lot of different ways over the years because the thinking, as you say, is different in different places. Mm-hmm. And the longer I've done this, the more I feel that there are things we can do even from birth. And what I mean by that is, when you have low muscle tone, your body is so floppy, mm-hmm. and so the baby doesn't have that natural ability to bring their hands into the center, curl their legs up, support their head over their body, that sort of thing. And so we can gently start doing things like that with the baby Mm -hmm. in safe ways that are going to promote their development as we go along. So that by the time that if you start, say, at six months or eight months or whatever it might be, 
the baby has already spent that long a time not doing much of anything. Mm -hmm. And then you're starting behind the eight ball, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So much better to start early with positioning. They might not be doing like a lot of so-called exercises Mm -hmm. in the beginning, but positioning is important. Introducing toys that are going to stimulate them in appropriate ways is important. You know, understanding why why the baby might need to be going on their tummy even if it's hard and finding ways to do that so that the baby's not anxious and upset about it Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things and so how will low tone affect or hypotonia affect kids with down syndrome or people with down syndrome low tone is is one of the biggest problems that that children with Down syndrome have. There's other children that have low tone also, and they have the same problems because low tone is the same whether you have Down syndrome or whether you just are a kid with low tone. Mm -hmm. As with anything, there's a spectrum. Some kids have very low tone, so they're super floppy. Mm -hmm. And some, the tone isn't that far off normal, but it's enough that it's not the same as everybody else. When you have low tone, your muscles are sitting in a more relaxed state than they should be all the time. And so when you go to do an activity and activate your muscles, it's like you're coming from a lower down place than if you have average tone. So for someone with low tone to do the same thing that a child with average tone does, it takes way more effort because they've already got to bring their muscles up to where the other child is in level of contractility and then do the activity. Mm -hmm. So the reaction time is slower because it takes that much longer. Right. It makes coordination speed bursts of energy very difficult Mm -hmm. it makes endurance difficult because it's hard to keep that going when you're working so hard just for the movement to start right Um, things that require explosions of of muscle are very difficult when you have low tone because your muscles kind of want to ease into it and then kind of melt out of it (laughs) so jumping is hard Mm -hmm. something like running fast is hard Something like throwing a ball or catching it can be hard because Mm -hmm. your muscles aren't reacting fast enough. You might fall over very easily because by the time you realize you're falling and your muscles are going, oh, we have to do something, you've already hit the ground. Right. As I said before, that expends far more energy than someone with average tone would use. Mm -hmm. And so you get tired more easily. So often parents think, oh, my child is so lazy, but it's not that at all. It's that their tone is low and they actually are working a whole lot harder than you think. Children with low tone uh, sometimes start to have an idea that their body isn't doing what they want it to. Mm -hmm. And so they can be quite nervous about movement and just not want to do it because there's a lot of effort required and they don't really see the payoff. Mm -hmm. So they start to be left out Mm -hmm. by their peers because their peers are running around the playground and the child can't keep up. And so it's like, oh, well, why try? Right. And the other children are, you know, maybe jumping on rocks or, you know, having fun in the soccer field and the child again can't keep up. And so they start to be left out. So it starts to just really create a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that intervention is so important because while we can't change tone, we can make the muscles that the child does have as strong as possible. Mm -hmm. And that can at least partially compensate for having the low tone. Because if you're stronger, then you've got more muscle available to do the work. So suddenly it's not as hard. Right. And while you may not be the fastest runner, you may still be able to run far because you're strong. Mm -hmm. 
And so that kind of makes up for it. The one thing about low tone too that you need to understand is that it can make even tasks like sitting in a desk very difficult because your muscles that support you when you're upright or your postural muscles or postural tone is low. Mm -hmm. And so you're almost like a weak stem tree and Mm -hmm. then your arms are the limbs. And so if you have this tree that's wobbling around, how can your limbs do the skilled work that is required of you in a desk? And how can you sit there for long periods of time without a break or without wiggling or without, you know, trying to alert your body to wake up? I need to sit up straight and I need to pay attention to my work. There's a lot more going on for a child with low tone. And then the final thing is that when you have low tone, the joints in your body are not held together nice and snugly. Mm -hmm. And so you usually have far more flexibility that other people do and far more than you actually need. So it's not uncommon, for example, as most parents of children with Down syndrome know, for their child to be able to do the splits, for example. I know. (laughs) And uh, how often do we have the problem of their feet rolling inwards because their body weight pushes down so hard on the muscles that they aren't responding consistently to keep the child upright. So then we might have to start looking at things like supporting those ankles so that the child can have better balance and can move more effectively over terrain that's less straightforward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ainsley, like when I take her out, obviously people don't realize that along with Down syndrome is the low tone that you know, sometimes I'm carrying her, like I'll carry her where she's facing outward because I've picked her up or something. And then she brings her feet right up to her head. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And people are always going, wow, so flexible. And we all, I, every parent know of a child with Down syndrome knows that, right? That yes. It kind of comes with Down syndrome, but it's kind of scary that their joints are so loose. So could it, could it ever happen where they could dislocate easily? If the tone is low enough, certainly. And of course, that would require a fair amount of force because the human body is pretty Mm -hmm. well built. But if you had a child with tone that was low enough and you yanked on their arm suddenly, yeah, you could dislocate an arm. I think under normal circumstances, if the child is able to move around and is doing so, that the likelihood of that happening is fairly low. Yeah. And if you know the child has low tone, you just know that there's certain movements you probably don't want to do with your child. Of course, (laughs) you want to be careful. Yeah, yeah, because there's been when Ainsley was younger and, you know, not quite walking, I'd have to pull her up. And my sister-in-law, she's also a physio, but doesn't do pediatrics. And she was always kind of worried about that because, you know, of the low tone and pulling on, I guess, the arm and the shoulder that it could dislocate and I was always kind of concerned about that but fortunately that never happened (laughs) thank goodness so you were mentioning about like weak ankles and I know for a time Ainsley had some I don't even know which ones they were I always hear about AFOs and SMOs and like what are your thoughts on that and I know we've talked about it with Ainsley about because she doesn't wear them anymore because it and you can probably explain why as to right now why we've decided not to wear anything. Sure. It's it's always a tough question about when to support the child foot and, mm-hmm. and ankle and how much and how much per day and how long. It's a question that nobody has the answer for finitely that I've been able to find over 40 years of doing this. I did work really closely with an orthopedic surgeon for seven years that specialized in working with children's feet Mm -hmm. and so that gave me a lot more insight into the problem than I had before 
I also have a colleague of mine that worked with children who have cerebral palsy for many years. And so that also, they also have many foot problems. And Mm -hmm. so that also impacted my final thinking on the subject. What I've been able to put together from all that I've learned over the years is that feet need support when they can't, when the muscles can't do the job themselves and it's impacting the child's function. So for example, if, if the child is not able to get up on their feet because their ankles are just so wobbly Mm -hmm. or their foot position is so poor, then it probably is a good idea to think about putting on some sort of orthosis on the foot and ankle at that time so that they can start learning those skills. Now, having said that, I also believe that you have to use them judiciously. Just because a child has a little bit of a flat foot doesn't mean they need orthotics. One of the things I learned was you need to ask yourself three questions. Is the child's foot deformed? So that means like really deformed, Mm -hmm. not just a little (laughs) flat-footed. Does the child have pain? And is the foot position interfering with function? So if you can't answer yes to one of those three questions, you shouldn't be putting orthotics on a child. That helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. So you asked me about SMOs and AFOs. So of course... Everybody knows about orthotics that you just slide into your shoe, and usually they're made to support the arch Mm -hmm. on the inner side of your foot. And with children, I really like, if they have that style, to have a what's called a heel cup at the back, so that kind of rises up above the heel a little bit and helps to keep that part of the foot in alignment as well. Mm -hmm. Next level up, you would have SMOs, which stands for Supra Malleolar orthotics (laughs) and what that means the malleoli are the ankle bones okay it's just a fancy way of saying ankles supra means over so it's supports that go over the ankles and usually they go just above ankle level and there's a few different styles they might look a little bit different from one another but basically that's the idea that they go over the ankle so that what they're doing is controlling the arch and helping to keep the ankle in place okay If you have a lot of body weight or if there's a lot of forces pushing the ankle out of alignment, then you probably need a longer lever arm, which is why you have AFOs. That stands for ankle foot orthoses. And so they go up to just below your knee crease or your calf, Mm -hmm. or on your calf, I should say. And because it's a longer lever arm, it gives better control. Mm -hmm. And so for those cases that are more severe, you would want to have AFOs. And that gives more control. But you can also have them as articulated AFOs. And that's, they usually say AAFOs. Oh, okay. And so that means that there's a little joint built in at the ankle so that the foot can bend somewhat. So usually that means that you don't want the foot to point down. You just want it to come up. Often that's the type used for children that say have really tight calf muscles or heel cords. And so you don't want the foot to point down too much. And so you put that joint in but you put a stop on the back so that they can only move their foot in an upward direction but not down right so here's the thing to understand about orthotics the thing that I find most people misunderstand is that they think that if you have orthotics it's going to fix a foot problem that's not actually true Mm -hmm. what the orthotic does is it supports so if you provide support you also eliminate the muscles need to work Mm -hmm. if the muscles aren't working Nothing will change. In fact, you're almost resigning yourself to a life of orthotics if you go too early. So I'm not saying I'm against orthotics because I use them a lot. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to really think about why you're doing it and when and why. 
for someone like Ainsley, for example, there was a time when as she was learning to balance herself on her feet, Mm -hmm. it helped to have a little bit of support at the ankles. Mm -hmm. Similar to what you do with a a newborn who is aging up in in a typical fashion, and then you put on the the first baby high-cut shoes, and it just gives them a bit more support. Mm -hmm. And then later on, they wear whatever they want to. So it's that, that sort of idea. A little bit of support, but then if you back off and let the child try and, and develop some muscle work in the feet, they can end up with quite nice feet. Mm-hmm. If, for example, you were to leave the orthotics on all the time, 24-7, so to speak, you're going to end up with a foot that has no arch, even more so, and even what we call a rocker bottom foot, where mm-hmm. not only is the arch non-existent, but some of the inner uh, middle of the foot bones have dropped down. And so then you can't fix that. That's really a difficult problem. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, when we used to have all children with CP and orthotics all the time, that's what we always got. And this doctor I worked with who worked a lot with CP was starting to see that. And so he started being a bit trendy and saying, you shouldn't have them on all the time. And we were all going, what? No, that's <laughs> not right. But he was right. I mm-hmm. see it. Because yeah. some kids that I followed that he followed, he'd say, no, take them off. And I would go, oh, okay, we'll try. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, within a year, I'd see some better foot position developing. Wow. So since then, I've been much more careful mm-hmm. about who in my practice receives orthotics and why mm-hmm. and when and how much. Yeah. Any child that receives orthotics, I feel, should spend some time without them if they're walking around because that allows the foot muscles to develop. Right. I have some children that also have AFOs, for example, and they can't stand on their own or they can't walk. Mm-hmm. That's a different story because that they're not in a situation where they're going to have the ability to develop muscles in their feet that are going to support their body. Mm-hmm. So they need that support all the time when they're put in standing. So that's different. But I'm talking about kids that are walking around or ambulatory. Mm-hmm. You want to give those muscles a chance to develop. It's just like any other muscle you have. If you use it, it gets better. If you don't use it, it gets soft and floppy and stops working. Right. Yeah, because I remember we did, through another physio, we got the AFOs with Ainsley, but she hated them. And, you know, and she'd only been walking for, I don't even know, I don't think it was very long. And, yeah, so we just never wore them. Yeah. And the other thing to remember, too, is that when you have low tone, you often are really seeking sensory information for your body and for your joint receptors. And an AFO stops your joints from moving, so you don't feel that. Mm-hmm. So the child does can't put into words what's different, but they're missing that sensory information oh. they get through the bottom of their feet and through the movement of their ankles and foot. For some kids, that's vital to walking. Well, and that totally makes sense because Ainsley cannot stand wearing socks and shoes. Mm. As soon as we're in the car, I don't even have her buckled in and the socks and shoes are already off. I'm always constantly putting them on, obviously, but she would rather just walk around barefoot. Mm. And at home, that's fine. She can do that or wherever. But yeah, it's I hadn't ever heard it like that before about, I mean, I knew it was just the sensory thing, but it didn't make sense to me before about as to why she was always taking her socks and shoes off. So yeah, barefoot gives you a lot of information and uh, we miss that in the Western world. 
you know, because we wear shoes all the time. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's really important in that you've heard the saying barefoot is best. Mm -hmm. That's why. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I I have heard that. And, and Ainsley, she loves to just, she would go barefoot all the time. She knows better than everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she does. I know earlier in the podcast, we were talking about, you know, how I was so desperate to get Ainsley walking and I'm, you know, beyond grateful that you did your magic with her. So maybe you, you know, there are some other listeners out there whose kids I know they're not quite walking yet. And they're wondering, you know, I used to wonder, is it ever going to happen? I mean, in the back of my mind, I knew, but it was a real, it was a real testament to my, my emotional uh, pain, I guess you could say, and my patience to get there. It was a real, a mental killer, but maybe could you share maybe some of the things that you worked with with Ainsley to get her like because it happened so quick once we started seeing you well I think you really want to have an experienced therapist if possible look at your child and sort of evaluate what they're seeing in terms of how the child moves and how much are they requiring the use of support to do that you also have to find in yourself that part of you that understands that it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. It's going to take some hard work in terms of your emotions more than even your physical and that you're going to have to just stand firm and and kind, firm and kind mm-hmm. and realize that this is going to work and you just have to stick with it because I find that to outlast the stubborn gene of a child with Down <laughs> syndrome is really difficult. It is. And mm-hmm. sometimes it, you wonder, am I doing the right thing? Am I going too far? And then they suddenly do what you say. And it's like, aha, uh-huh. you knew all along. <laughs> yes. That's a tough part. And that requires, you know, a real good partnership between yourself and your therapist and understanding your child well. So I would say if a child was doing what Ainsley was doing, which was walking with some support from hands or or holding onto furniture or that sort of thing, they have a, a really good possibility of walking on their own. I think it's probably almost like 90% or mm-hmm. more, but they'll need a push. Right. If you think about it this way, when they're hanging on, they feel super secure because they gain their security from the solid object. Mm-hmm. When they let go, suddenly they're that wavy tree in the wind again. And so to learn to trust your body when you never have is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And when I'm tough with them, and I insist, no, you can do this, I'm telling them also, I trust that you can do this. I I really believe in you. I believe in their strength that's in you. I believe in the strength in your body, and we're going to do this together, and we're going to see it through. And when you have that kind of attitude, you can just make anything happen. Mm-hmm. So what we did with Ainsley is we, because she was really more of a people person than a an object person I would start out with her I would hold her for standing up against me mm-hmm. and have somebody sitting in a stool a short distance from her like maybe two feet so that all she really had to do is put a foot out and then she would already be in that person's arms right and we just kept slowly inching back mm-hmm. the distance and sometimes she would go down and she would refuse and we'd say no Ainsley we're gonna walk now And when she had done her walk, then we would let her have a hug from her mom or Mm -hmm. play with a special toy that she really liked, and then we would do it again. And pretty soon she got the idea that I have to do this, and then I get the reward, Mm -hmm. and it's actually not so bad. And she started to gain some strength and skill and realize that, hey, this is actually much faster than crawling or dragging myself around or trying to walk around the furniture or whatever it is. And I can get there so much faster and get into mischief, and it's awesome. (laughs) And I think that was a big driving force for Ainsley when she realized, wow, 
I can get over there in like two seconds Mm -hmm. and my mom can't catch me. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And I do remember that. And I've told other parents about that, about just start moving farther and farther apart. And I go, yeah, like that's like, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but but when you just do it incrementally, because we all want everything now or yesterday. Yeah. And, but yeah, and then before I knew it, Ainsley was walking yeah. across the clinic. And the child's got to see it as doable. That's the thing. Yeah. So you have to start where they are. Mm-hmm. And if one step's all they can do for three weeks, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then you inch it back and then you inch it back. And pretty soon they start to trust, I think my body can do this. So what you're doing is you're building the child's confidence in their own body and in themselves it's huge because Mm -hmm. it's a real confidence booster for them before that they're completely dependent on other people and people don't stop to think about how that's affecting them so the hard part is finding that strength within yourself to really push your child Mm -hmm. because this is an important thing that's going to be a life skill for them the problem is if you wait till the child's body weight is so so great that their muscles are that far mm-hmm. behind. It's so much more difficult and it may not happen. I kind of think that, you know, you really want to try and achieve independent walking by the time a child's five, partly mm-hmm. for school, for social mm-hmm. things, for ease of care. And once they're in school, they're going to be sitting a lot. Yeah. And so if you haven't got it by five, it's going to be hard to get. And then the other thing is that as the child's body grows, if the muscles are staying weak, then mm. they haven't got the strength anymore and it's too much too much of an upward hill yeah. to climb that it's very hard to get i'm not saying impossible but it's hard Harder, i huh? have had a child that took his first steps at 10 wow. so it does happen yeah. but i would say that's rare, rare. Yeah. and i think that's what it is it's the body weight compared to the muscle strength because mm-hmm. i was well, as, you, as I've said many times, desperate. Because one, Ainsley was bigger, so she was getting heavy and was causing some havoc on my back. Because although I wasn't really carrying her everywhere, there were times that I had to carry her and pick her up. And also I was so worried that if she wasn't walking independently, because she did walk for a year holding my hand, but if she wasn't walking independently by kindergarten, that they would insist that she be in a wheelchair. And yes. I was so worried that if she went into school in a wheelchair... She is not coming out of that. Yes, and that's unfortunately, I think, what happens to a lot of kids. The school, of course, has to try and protect the children and mm-hmm. protect the workers as well. And there's so many kids mm-hmm. that what do you do? I mean, yeah. in the ideal world, they would keep working on her walking, but that's not really going to be the case in most situations because schools aren't set up for that. Mm-hmm. So I find that that's a deal breaker. Yeah. is going to school. So if you can get it before a school age, then you're probably gold. Yeah. And then from there, you know, we just started to advance the skills that she was working on. Mm-hmm. Some take longer than others, but in the last two years, she's learned how to, she can actually climb stairs without support now, although mm-hmm. she doesn't like to, but no. she can. Yeah. We have a short flight of stairs that we practice in the clinic up and down and she can do it. We've also worked on getting up from the floor, mm-hmm. and at first that was hard, but then she got it, and she really liked that, because yeah. then suddenly she was able to get around wherever she was. She didn't have to wait for someone to find a support for her or help her up. Right. Uh, running was another one. She's starting to run now, mm-hmm. and also jumping. Yeah. We've been practicing on a mini trampoline with a handle, and because she likes to watch signing time so much, she's always game to do it. Yeah. So uh, we have the signing time 
on pause <laughs> when the jumping stops and it goes when the jumping happens. So it works beautifully. Yeah. And she also knows we pause it and she does 10 nice jumps for us and then she can watch signing time again and then we do some more and it works really well. We just go back and forth and she gets rewarded for her efforts and that's what makes the difference. And um, I remember when you told me that you just couldn't believe it because one day you're in the store and Ainsley just ran away yeah, yeah. And, and took off. And like for most parents, I mean, it's always a scary thing, but for most parents it would be like, oh no, you're being so naughty. But it's actually a joyful thing. Yeah, it was. Because wow, look at her. She's like just exploring her world and she's actually able to go off on her own and have that fun. Yeah, I remember that. It was in Costco actually of all places and she just took off and and you know I've never gotten upset when she takes off because I waited so long yeah. for her to walk. But you know and also because we also go to swim physio. Yes. So what are the benefits of swim physio as opposed to clinic physio? Well when you're in the clinic of course you're still always working against the effects of gravity and we live in gravity so you have to mm-hmm. do that. But in the pool you're free because suddenly gravity doesn't mean much you're floating in the water your body is lighter it's easier to practice skills like jumping and stairs in the water and um, for any child with low tone whether they have down syndrome or not uh, being in the water is probably one of the best exercises Mm -hmm. they can do because a it's something they can excel at and b they can't get hurt and fall down that's true And so it just works on so many fronts also because children love being in the water. Mm -hmm. And so they have fun and they think they're working. I mean, sorry, they think they're playing, but they're actually working is what I meant to say. (laughs) And again, uh, we we set the bar high. I like to set the bar high for Mm -hmm. kids because I really believe that they can surprise you with what they can achieve. And so we had Ainsley in the water and we were first with flotation teaching her um, how to move herself And that took a while, but once Mm -hmm. she got the concept, she started doing it. And then as we lightened up on the flotation, which is our practice, because we teach swimming skill Mm -hmm. by reducing flotation. And now she's swimming on her own, and it took, oh, I don't know, what would you say, 6 to 12 months, something like that? Yeah, because it was just, and I remember when she was down to, I think, two of the little backpacks, she said, well, she'll probably be swimming on her own by summer. And I think it was actually the following week that she didn't have any backpacks. So it was pretty exciting to see that because that was another promise that you made me is that she's going to swim. Yeah. And she does. And she does. Yeah. Yeah. And she's so funny because she she has her own unique way of doing it. Mm -hmm. It seems like she barely moves. Yeah. But she somehow keeps that head out of the water Mm -hmm. and she's just pleased as punch with herself. Oh, yeah. And she's doing so well. And now she's learning how to use goggles and learning how to swim a little faster. Mm -hmm. And then we superimpose technique on the swim skill afterwards, which is opposite to how most people do it. They teach swim skill first and then you learn to swim and learn to move. So we teach you move in the water safely first and then you learn the, the other skills that can make it more efficient. And that seems to work better with a special needs population. So that's why we do it oh, that way. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I know lots of people, because I've definitely seen the benefits of swim physio for Ainsley. It's made her a lot stronger yeah. quickly. And she just also loves the water. So it's not so much work when she's there. She yeah. gets to play. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit hard, but she, I think, really enjoys it and also makes her really tired after, which is <laughs> which great. Which is good for you. <laughs> yeah. But... You know, a lot of people are wondering, well, how can I do swim physio? Because they don't necessarily know a physio who does that. So I think from what you just said, swim physio is different from, I guess, like a one-on-one swim lesson. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
first of all, if you have a person running the session that understands your child's body, it mm-hmm. makes all the difference. Okay. If you have a one-on-one swimming lesson, you may get a good one. You may get a good helper, but you know, a lot of times it's a young lifeguard that is teaching and they may have the best intentions, but have no clue about how the child's body works. Mm-hmm. And when you have low tone, it's not the same as with other kids. For example, it's really hard to keep your body horizontal in the water. Yes, that's what I see with Ainsley. Like, you know, she's not near horizontal yet on her front, but it's coming. Yeah, and that usually comes later. Most of the kids that I work with swim vertically for a long time, and Mm -hmm. it's it's just very different. Mm -hmm. But that's they can do it, and they can do it for hours sometimes. (laughs) And the main thing is that they're they're swimming, and the rest is teachable. A one-on-one lesson, also, you would be doing it by instruction that's how it's standardly done Mm -hmm. so if you were wanting to try and get your kid swimming I would probably try and use the method that we use which is give them flotation as much as they need for their body weight get them moving as much as they can and as they move more watch where their head level is if they can keep their head level above the water while you reduce flotation then you're then they're ready for it to be cut down that's what we go by okay if they can keep their chin out of the water so that they're not taking on excess water then they're they're managing okay and then we do that for a few weeks and then they get stronger then we take away another one and we watch Mm -hmm. and if they can do it and that's how we do it it's not very hard so like could a swim instructor still do that or do you think if they should people should try to look for someone specifically to do that because I think that might be the challenge yeah I think it's challenging to find anybody to do that I think a swim instructor probably won't do that okay because they're kind of bound by what their their Mm. rules of safety or the red cross dictates as the way to teach children to swim of course and that's all they know that's their rules and it's not their fault that's just how it is we're doing it in a really sort of back through the back door way yeah and we've had a lot of discussions with the pool that I'm renting from because a lot of times the staff have had to really learn to understand why our children look the way they do because in the beginning they often were worried that the children who were swimming vertically were actually drowning because they're taught that if a person is vertical like that that means they're in trouble but that's not the case with our children right they're they're not in trouble they're that's just how they swim because their central tone is so low they can't keep their body up Mm -hmm. so the pool I work with has knowledge of that now and so they kind of understand that okay well these guys are just going to look a little different when they're swimming and that's okay but you know if you didn't know that then you might be a little bit alarmed or worried about it I think as a parent you could even fairly easily if you feel like you're competent in the water you don't have to know how to swim Mm -hmm. but just go in water where they can't touch and start them off with maximum flotation I don't like to use life jackets because it flips the child on their back Mm -hmm. but there's water wings Costco has them other places have them and it's got like a foam padded strip across the chest and then foam padded armlets right and that's what we tend to use for the children first Mm -hmm. and it's pretty good at keeping them up and keeping their heads out of the water and they can also learn how to move their body so that their arms are free and they, they they need to learn how to keep their body in a certain position so that they don't end up in the water with their head. <laughs> right. <laughs> From there, we take we use that and we flip it backwards mm-hmm. when they're better. And then from that point, we will give them, you can get these on Amazon too for super cheap. It's like, we call it a backpack and there's like four different colors of foam that go on your back mm-hmm. with a strap mm-hmm. and you just start to reduce how many the child has until they have one, which is really almost nothing. Right. And 
then you take it off and at some point you just have to try yeah and we try short distance first just like with the walking Mm -hmm. we'll go like five feet or something like that so basically the child just has to keep their head up long enough to sort of float over to the other person right and then increase the distance as they're able and that's how we do it yeah because Ainsley's now at half a length of the pool that's right which is pretty awesome and and she's so relaxed she just kind of Swims slowly, looks around, no, no troubles in the world, no struggle. It's awesome. It is awesome because, you know, I thought that was a very long way off. I never, you know, it wasn't even kind of on my horizon really that she would actually swim, but you did tell me that she would. And she I don't is. like to make promises I can't keep. <laughs> That's good because I'm going to keep holding you to those promises. <laughs> So like how often do you think kids, I mean, I guess it's going to depend on their ability. Like how often should kids with Down syndrome, especially in early intervention, like zero to three, how often should they be seeing a physio or going to physio? In an ideal world, I think once a week. Mm-hmm. Some some maybe don't need that because they've got better tone and they're sort of catching the milestones a little bit more easily than kids with lower tone. Mm-hmm. But you know, if if you can manage once a week through a private physio or through the agency you're with, I would do it. Why not? You get you get lots of support that way. You get little tips. You get somebody else's eyes on your child to, to maybe see things you didn't see and help you with new suggestions as they're needed. I think the reason, like, our pool therapy program works so well is because we do see the kids weekly. Mm-hmm. And so then we can make changes as we go. Uh, if we didn't, then it would be much harder. Yeah. And I think the same applies for land. I mean, if the child has really low tone and is really struggling, yes, they need physio once a week. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If they're doing a little better, maybe every other week. But even then, you can make changes more quickly if you see the therapist more quickly. I mean, sorry, more often. Uh, uh, Yeah, Yeah. obviously. I have have some kids like Ainsley that come every week that are working on things like stairs. Mm -hmm. And that's huge because if you're five years old and you can do all these things, you're just sitting in a way better place than if you can't. Oh, I know. And she actually really enjoys climbing. Like at the park, she there's like a net thing. And she like, I mean, I always stand there because I'm always concerned she's going to fall. But she has actually never fallen. She'll climb up the stairs to the big slide and the various things that you can climb on. And I'm always amazed that that she's one, that she's capable, but also that she's not really that scared either, I guess, because she's feeling more comfortable with where her, I guess, her feet are placed and just her abilities. Well, think about it this way. That's such an empowering thing for her Mm -hmm. to be able to do. She sees the other kids. Yeah. She wants to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And when she can, she's as proud as can be. Mm -hmm. And it makes her feel good. And it makes her feel like I'm just as good as everybody else. And she is. Thank you. You know, she's she's awesome and she tries so hard and, and she's always happy about it. And when she's stubborn, even then, she gives you that funny little look like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> more and more as I go along in, in my career, I see how movement is so tied into self-esteem. Mm-hmm. If people can move their bodies effectively and feel like they fit in with their peers, it's huge. That's just one less obstacle to overcome in the world. As soon as you have a child that's not able to get around, they're kind of in a corner. And yes, it might be okay when they're little and Mm -hmm. they're cute. Yeah. But you don't stay little and cute forever. That's the reality of it. And then it gets less attractive for people to spend time with you Mm -hmm. that are your peers. And pretty soon it's just adults. And then you don't have a peer group anymore. And I think that's so sad. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So when you work with kids like Ainsley, and I see all different types of kids when when we go to your sessions... When you see like 
Ainsley, for example, because <laughs> she's my daughter, um, reaching those milestones, like when now that she's walking and she's swimming, how does that, like for me, it's amazing and huge. But for you as the therapist, how, how was that for you? I'm just feeling tear, tearful yeah. thinking about it because it's that meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's why I live and breathe. It's everything <laughs> to me. It means so much to see the children I work with gaining skills that were thought to be impossible and then they can do them and they're reaching potential and they're so happy and I love it. It's just the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely do my job for free, although I do need to pay bills, so then I have to charge <laughs> people. But yeah. it's just the most awesome feeling ever. I always tell my staff when I hire them, you can't spend a day with these kids without it changing your life forever. And it's true. Mm-hmm. They're just amazing. Oh, they are. Like all the people that you have, like all the different therapists, they're all wonderful. And I know Thank Ainsley, you. you're welcome. And I know Ainsley really loves them. And they're and I just find they're all so good with the different kids and they have lots of patience and, but they're also firm because you've, you've obviously taught them that, which is obviously very beneficial, especially for Ainsley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, when someone is like looking for a physio, I always recommend you locally. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, you know, and as Jen has also said, you get results. You're, you're, you're firm, but you get results. And like I said, sometimes the sessions were hard, Yeah. but I knew that if we wanted to get to walking or jumping or swimming or running or whatever it is that I had to have trust in you that you, cause obviously you know what you're doing, but that you would get us there and you have, and I'm so thankful for that. And so grateful because I really was pretty much at the end of my rope when I came to you that snowy day, uh, to try to get Ainsley to walk into because I was very worried about kindergarten but I also know because you do get such great results that you're also very hard to get into yeah it's true yeah yeah but that's that's not a bad problem to have but you know how can people get in touch with you if they want to see if they can get into a session or even get on your wait list or because you have the clinic physio and also the swim physio which I know is a bit difficult to get into but how can people get in touch with you if they want to maybe even get a consult with you the best way is to either call or email my secretary. Mm-hmm. The number is for the for the secretary is 604-463-7537. Okay. And um, you can always leave a message if she's not in, and she can arrange to set up a time to come and see me in the clinic, which always has to happen even if what you're really wanting is to explore the pool program. Right. The pool program is hard to get into only... Mostly because, I shouldn't say only because, but mostly because we're really successful in teaching kids how to swim. Mm-hmm. And so word has gotten around and so people like to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy about that because more than anything, I want to provide a service that's meaningful. But uh, we're also limited by the pool in terms of how many children we can take on. Of course. And so that's really my main barrier to expanding the program. Mm-hmm. However, there's always movement people change programs they try something new they move away they age out so there's always spots coming available and so the best thing to do is have the assessment that you can set up through my secretary and then put your name on a wait list if the pool is what you want okay and we're there three days a week 
in Port Coquitlam mm-hmm. from 3.45 till 7.30 in 45-minute increments. And the kids always have either one-to-one or two-to-one. Mm-hmm. I'm asked that question quite a lot, but I believe in a high staff ratio. Yeah. And that's what makes the program work. And they, we try very hard to have the same people with them all the time so that they get to know each other and trust mm-hmm. each other, and that, that's also why it works. I'm there as well, obviously, uh, running the program, and we run very efficiently, so mm-hmm. we start on time and end on time. I know that. We work hard, <laughs> but we have fun. Mm-hmm. The kids love to come, and that makes me happy because that's what I want. Kids shouldn't have to go places they don't like to go. Mm-hmm. So even when it's hard work, there has to be some fun, too, to make it worthwhile. Uh, the other way to contact my secretary is on email, and that's info, I-N-F-O, at Kids First. Physio, K-I-D-S-F-I-R-S-T-P-H-Y-S-I-O dot C-A. Okay. Info at kidsfirstphysio.ca. And we'll certainly put these links on the website for how people can get in touch with you. And I know we were talking before we started, but do you ever do, like you said, you do sometimes like photo consults? Yes. Or, I mean, is it out of the realm of possibility maybe for someone to Skype with you or do a video consult? I, I'm, I haven't done it before, but I'm certainly willing to consider it if you're living in an area where you don't have access to somebody, of course. Okay. I, I just really want to help people. Mm-hmm. And so if we can make it happen, I will certainly do that. And, uh, you know, we just have to arrange a time that works for Obviously. everybody and that of, sort of thing. Yeah. Of course. Like I said, Brenda does get results and Ainsley is total proof because, you know, I... Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for everything that you've done for Ainsley. And like I said, I'm going to keep holding you to your promises. Okay. You promised me she would walk. You promised me she would swim. And you promised me she would jump. And you promised me she would be running. And she's starting to run now. So... It's all pretty exciting. I'm chasing after her in the parking lot quite often. (laughs) (laughs) And she laughs as she runs by, right? She thinks it's quite funny. I'm just so grateful and so happy that we were able to get connected with you and you were able to make those things happen. I mean, it's been through a lot of hard work. Yes. But, you know, Ainsley, I think, has risen to the challenge and your staff is awesome and you know, and I just appreciate it. Thank you well, so much. You're you're more than welcome. And it's totally been my pleasure to work with Ainsley. We all enjoy her so much. I enjoy all the children with Down syndrome. They're challenging to work with be- mm-hmm. because of that stubborn gene, but they're awesome. That's my <laughs> favorite kind of child to work with because they have so much to bring to the table. And I think the fact that they're that smart, that they know how to manipulate adults is incredible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it makes me laugh inside all the time when you set the bar high they can surprise you and so that's my advice is set the bar high yes yeah for sure because I that's what I've always believed in too because you just set it high and see how high they'll go that's right yeah well thank you so much Brenda for coming in today and and sharing us with your wisdom on everything about physio and and the stories about Ainsley. And I, I really do appreciate your time and, and coming in. And if listeners have any questions, as we said, we'll put the links on the website that people can get in contact with Brenda with the questions that they might have. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to be here. You're welcome. You know, Mary, again, the, these physios and these guests, the therapists just keep blowing me away with the amount of information and you know consideration and commitment that they have to all of these kids. I know it's amazing and I'm so grateful as I've said many times for all of Ainsley's therapists and you know Brenda she has done amazing and wonderful things with Ainsley and as our listeners just heard 
you know, she got Ainsley walking in a pretty short order, and she is just as stubborn as Ainsley. Well, I learned I, I learned a lot about the swimming thing, mm-hmm. right? Like the upright swimmer versus the the horizontal swimmer, mm-hmm. and how it causes you know lifeguards to panic. Panic. <laughs> <laughs> So where's our next episode, episode 11, as we begin our the back half of our season? Well, I've been talking for the last few weeks about all the various therapies that Ainsley does. And as we all know, therapies can cost a great deal of money. And, you know, as a single mom, what I did early on is I applied to a wonderful organization called Variety, who have funded various therapies of Ainsley's they funded her they've been funding her swim physio and they initially helped with her speech therapy great we're looking forward to that one and uh, why don't you talk us out of this one thanks for listening to the t21 mom podcast and I would love to hear from you what things are important to you as you navigate this journey of special needs and down syndrome how are you doing things your way drop us a line at our email at info at t21mom.com and t21mom is all one word and let us know what's going on in your life and please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a few reviews and let us know how you're liking our podcast thanks for listening and keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we'll see you next time see you mary bye ron bye